This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Mike Rogers will be with us shortly, chairman of the Farm Services Committee over in the House, a uh, Republican from Alabama. Johan Hari will be with us, author of Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention, except to me, and How to Think Deeply Again. He's an unbelievable, great communicator. You probably saw him on One Nation over the weekend, which is going to be on at 8 o'clock, of course, on Saturday night. Uh, so that'll be great. Uh, There's a lot going on today to finish out the week, and if tradition is anything, over the last three weeks, we have gotten announcements about classified documents at a residence of or a working place of Joe Biden. We'll see if that happens during our show. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This administration is making it effectively impossible to seek refuge at our border. The courts rightly rejected the Trump administration's attempt to categorically end asylum. Doing better than Trump doesn't mean it shouldn't be the bar. Unbelievable, right? AOC, Joe, you are too tough at the border. That's the outcry from 70-plus delusional Democrats who want him to loosen up his wide-open policy. Yes, AOC is leading the outcry. We'll bring you the reality to his conversation. We'll bring reality to this conversation. Number two. Well, we've had three substandard election cycles in a row, 18, 20, and 22. I think we need uh, a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. Wow. Uh, Ron DeSantis laying it down. The fight for the future of the GOP at the RNC meeting in California as Governor Ron DeSantis takes his political capital and puts it behind Harmeet Dillon while calling out Ronna McDaniel. Meanwhile, Dems have an issue with their current president poised for a re-election who's not even the most popular one in New Hampshire for his party. Number one. Under my predecessor, the last guy that was president, the deficit in four went up four years in a row. No president added more to the debt in four years than my president. Well, number one, the pandemic hit, so totally disingenuous to the economy. Instead of outlining his vision... The president, the current one, mocks Republican WWE style. Why? While his rhetoric is poison and politically, I think it's disastrous for him and the nation. And simmering beneath it all, a classified document scandal that simply will not go away. Now, I do know uh, there's a lot going on today and people are braced because of this uh, for what could happen with some uh, civic unrest because of uh, this seems to be a terrible would flat out a murder by five cops of one uh, of one suspect. That, that took place over in Tennessee. Uh, we'll discuss some of that shortly, but we'll keep an eye on what could be happening as this video could be released uh, later on today. Congressman Mike Rogers, welcome back. It is great to be back. The Michigan Mike Rogers is happy to join you today. 
Oh, the Michigan Mike Rogers. Okay, that, thanks so much. I got that a little confused. Uh, so that that's why um, there's a couple of things going on I think that is pretty unbelievable. First off, if you are law enforcement now, you don't want to urge people to demonstrate. But after the George Floyd riots, you now have eight hours to get ready because evidently if the police who have seen this tape, it's so horrific by these five cops. What is law enforcement doing today? Well, listen, obviously training is a big part of this and and continuing to support law enforcement is another factor of this. You you can't make them feel it is we versus them uh, or these are the uh, you know, these incidents won't be as rare as they absolutely need to be, if not at all. And so one of the things as a former FBI guy, training matters, training for law enforcement matters, how to respond to this and making sure, listen, these folks are under a lot of stress when those calls come in. Uh, and it's life or death, uh, they have to make decisions in a split second. And so that stress can build up over time on a police officer, and, and uh, sometimes it impacts their judgment. And again, law enforcement needs to have a better way to work with these officers to get them trained mm-hmm. so that they don't have a moment where this happens. And the last I'll say this, the guy's name is, is Tyree Nichols, uh, evidently gets pulled over for reckless driving. Five uh, members of the police force uh, uh, hold him. He gets away. They follow him. And within three minutes, they beat him. He goes to the hospital, dies a couple of days later. The video's out. Uh, and there's a sense that this could be uh, very insightful. And we remember what happened in Minneapolis and all these other cities. So we'll keep our eye on that. The other story. Yeah, this is really important, Brian. Yeah. Listen, it's really important. We also, as citizens, have a responsibility. When confronted by a police officer, the best way not for anything bad to happen is to comply. You know, there are other ways. If you have a difference of opinion on why you were stopped or what's going on, there are ways to do with that. But as citizens, we have a responsibility to comply. Remember, they don't know who you are. They don't know if you've committed a crime, robbed a bank, shot somebody two minutes ago. They have to treat everybody uh, a little bit with suspect. And so when that happens, it's really important that we comply with police officers to lower the tension. If you're part of the problem, increasing that attention, nothing good is going to come of it. Um, okay. Uh, understood. Uh, of course, no one uh, deserves that type of beating, period. Um, and we'll find out. We'll see what the tape is because police evidently have seen it and said they're horrified. On, a, on another note, over the last five Fridays, we have heard about classified documents, some at the highest level, being found in a location where President Biden worked or lives. Uh, the numbers are now uh, over 30. And we know since that time, Mike Pence said, I had a few. They were briefings before meeting world leaders. And Donald Trump famously had the Mar-a-Lago situation. The thing that's different about the three is the FBI went in and grabbed the stuff from Pence. They raided the stuff from Trump, and they were uh, asked to come in, and lawyers are allowed to watch as, without a search warrant, the FBI went through the third location. There was five different searches. Do you see the disparity in all of this? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, perception of bias, Brian, can sometimes be as bad as bias itself, and certainly— uh, I'm sure the FBI would offer some explanation here, and I haven't heard it, uh, but this does not look right. And it continues to feed the narrative uh, that there is a partisan bent to the FBI. And I can tell you, as an FBI agent who worked organized crime cases in Chicago, nothing uh, from working agents, this they despise this kind of thing because it makes their job that much harder when they're trying to do real work 
chasing real criminals out there. And so, listen, the DOJ and the FBI, something is not right. And I don't, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science for good. And we're going to have to do something about it. So uh, I'll bring you to the other area and we'll find out. James Comer's looking into it, but they're getting no cooperation, period, about anything. The other thing that's coming clear, and Matt Taibbi just put this Twitter files, the latest one, dropped it. It looks at the FBI working with the FBI, working with Twitter, uh, working with politicians and working with a group called Hamilton 68 was out there making sure conservatives or anything to do with Donald Trump was not heard, whether it's shadow banning, ban, banning, stopping, tra- uh, 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 stopping trends and going out and falsely identifying different users of being Russian bots. And the FBI, the communication's all there. It's not my opinion. It's not Mike Rogers' opinion. The communication's all there. The demands to contain the conservative message, and then later it morphed into anti-government COVID messaging. And these are dozens of guys, many of which retire and go to work at social media companies like Twitter. What does Mike Rogers, spending a career before going into Congress in the FBI, think about this? Uh, listen, again, I, I think something's wrong. I think it's a leadership culture problem at the FBI. Um, and they are losing faith with Americans, average Americans, quickly. And we've got to get, A, to the bottom of it. We, we need to understand exactly what happened. I'm a facts-based guy. You've got to get down to the bottom uh, and make sure that as we understand it, that's exactly what happened. And then they're going to have to deal with it. You cannot continue to have a culture with this many problems in the Bureau. Uh, I mean, think about it, uh, Brian. They just released – they had an own, their own internal audit report uh, where 700 times they didn't follow their own rules in investigating politicians or candidates, religious groups, uh, or media organizations, and that includes social media. That's a problem. And that's a leadership problem. And so, uh, listen, I think they need to take a look, either look at themselves or I think the administration needs to kind of say, OK, we're going to we're going to get this back to the FBI that used to protect the public and used to not put its thumb on the scale uh, and has no perception of bias as they go into any investigation. And I would feel the same way if I felt the FBI was in bed with Donald Trump or conservatives. I'd go, what are we doing? You got to be kidding yeah, me. You can't You're going to divide I'm the whole country. Under- uh, you cannot do that either way. You can't do it. And some of these decisions just don't seem, I mean, you know, knowing about the documents that were uh, that they found in Biden before the election but didn't mention it, went into a raid 60 days out of an election to President Trump. You know, again, perception does matter in law enforcement. And either you're tone deaf uh, or you're not thinking straight or even worse – Uh, You're trying to tip that scale in a different direction. All of those are bad outcomes. So the other thing specifically which you're referring to is uh, the Hunter Biden laptop, which was in FBI's hands uh, December of 2019. And then in July of 2020, they actually have New York Times, Washington Post and others tabletopping different ways to handle so-called Russian disinformation. And we're tracking Rudy Giuliani to find out when Rudy dropped off to the New York Post the files that showed what was in Hunter Biden's laptop, they prepared all these social media companies and big-time mainstream media uh, uh, organizations for what was coming down the pike. Listen to Stuart Kaplan, a former FBI agent himself. Cut 10. The world or the business of espionage and counterintelligence is dirty business. The rules of engagement are cloaked in secrecy. 
Um, the methods and sources are mostly unknown to most Americans. As an FBI agent, we would be well aware that if a former vice president's relative, such as his son, was traveling to a foreign state, we would definitely approach that individual to make sure that their safety was first and foremost. I see a lot of smoke here all over the place, and there is no doubt that the FBI was well aware of Hunter Biden's uh, engagements, uh, his relationships, and he led them to a lot of individuals. But keep in mind, these are national security investigations. We may never, ever learn about what the end game was for the FBI or the CIA or the DOI because these are national security investigations. Why have an investigation without a conclusion? Yeah, so, well, counterintelligence investigations are a little different than a criminal investigation. Now, they can lead to a criminal investigation, but the FBI has this unique place in the world. They also collect intelligence on uh, espionage operations happening in the United States. Uh, clearly, though, here, I, I agree with the, with the agent. I, there's something doesn't smell right to me in this process. Uh, because they end up, ended up arresting one of them for taking money that was in some way associated with Hunter Biden well before this. And I forget the guy's name. Devin Archer. Was, uh, yeah. So so you think about that and you think, OK, well, if you have information uh, where this particular person happens to be Hunter Biden is engaged in activity that, by the way, would be illegal uh, on the face of it. Well, you've got a problem. And for the fact that they kept pushing this down the road and pushing this down the road, right. they would have to have an exceptionally good reason to do that. Uh, and candidly, as an old, again, old FBI mm -hmm. guy who works sources, if you had a source that was giving you something more of value for a bigger picture, maybe. But that's not what this sounds like to me. It sounds right. like somebody uh, didn't really want this to see the light of day. And exactly. that's, that's a, again, another dangerous trend in this uh, notion. And again, they're losing faith with the American public. I don't think they understand this. You know, I travel a lot around the country, Brian, and I'm telling you one of the first questions when they find out I'm a former FBI guy is what is going on with the FBI? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So you have a column on foxnews.com. Uh, uh, you said, I was an FBI agent, and if Biden won't fix a bureau in crisis, it will be destroyed. And you point to the latest revelation and embarrassment. Charles McConnell, a former special agent in charge of counterintelligence of the FBI, evidently went to a flip. It was a, working with a Russian oligarch and uh, for Russia, for him. So this is another example of, man, this guy is also all over this Hunter and, and Russia investigation and the dossier. He's in and around that case, too. Well, he was the, a senior guy in counterintelligence in New York City. You know, that is one of that is the biggest counterintelligence operation that the FBI runs for good reason. Right. So you have the United Nations is there. You have lots of international uh, activity coming in and out of New York City all the time. And guess what? Spies like to play there. They like to try to recruit Americans. Uh, they like to try to steal secrets, all of those things, and that's why the FBI is a presence there. So that guy, in his senior levels at the Bureau, this he was like the top guy, Brian, in counterintelligence. You can't tell me he didn't understand that that case was there. And here's the other part of this that hasn't come out yet in my mind. So, yes, he did. they, they caught him after he left the Bureau in 2018, this agent, 
working for this Russian oligarch who clearly had ties back to Putin uh, and other maligned activities. But you know what? He knew who he was going up to 2018. What we don't know is was was he feeding information? Uh, why he was still a, an agent? Don't know that. They're going to have to do a damage assessment investigation to figure out was this guy either uh, not for money, telling him things he probably shouldn't tell, which would make it illegal, or was he taking money before that? Uh, and then when he retired, you know, immediately ran over there. Again, culture problem. That is a massive failure of ethics, uh, duty. You know, most agents feel that that creed of fidelity, bravery, integrity are really important, and they follow it. When they see senior leaders of the FBI doing these kinds of things, tell me that they're losing faith in this organization. Incredible. Uh, So much to talk about. Uh, Mike Rogers, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. I hope so. Thanks, Brian. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. Yeah, check out his column on foxnews.com. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So there's so much going on in terms of investigations. You also have the economic uh, view of both the president and trying to vilify Republicans. And now you have with the drama of the RNC on the West Coast as, uh, believe it or not, my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, uh, is a bit of a project, certainly has the money. Harmeet Dillon, extremely talented communicator and lawyer. Uh, takes the hardest cases and always wins. And then Ronna McDaniel, I find her uh, very competent, very organized. But in terms of results, they haven't been there in 2018, 2020, and 2022. And when Ron DeSantis comes out and says, I'm for change, that's significant. Because what he's doing, too, is if I want to get into this race, and Ronna McDaniel still overwhelmingly favored to win, that means I'm if I get in this race, I could have somebody who's in charge of the RNC He kind of doesn't like me. But pretty much Ron DeSantis doesn't care about that. For the most part, most of the people, I think 90-plus people of the 166 uh, part of the RNC, uh, Donald Trump put there uh, during Trump's reign. But only a small percentage have committed to supporting Donald Trump. Isn't that fascinating? Some people think the the Republican Party is ready to turn the page. Others think they're not. They're seeing the polls. And the scene, the guy in front is still Donald J. Trump. That doesn't mean that Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, Christy Nome are all not getting in. Mike Pence getting in. Chris Christie getting in. But they're just not afraid of him. 
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring in John Hari, uh, author of Stolen Focus, why you can't pay attention except for this show, and how to think deeply again. He just released an audio book of Chasing the Scream, which Johan re- read himself, uh, and we focus on addiction. So, Johan, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be with you again. First off, just to outline, for people that don't know your best-selling book, Stolen Focus, everybody listening right now can relate to this because whether – unless you have a flip phone, you are texting, you are listening on the phone, you're playing down videos, you're playing down news, you're playing down any – you might be playing games on it. But what has all this technology done to our lives? Yeah, it's not just technology. I mean, I wrote the book because I noticed that my own ability to focus and pay attention was just getting worse and worse, right? I could feel it happening with each year, things that require deep focus that are so important, like reading books, having proper long conversations, watching movies. We're just getting harder and harder, and this is happening to a huge number of people all around us. And I was particularly worried about the young people in my life who I love. And, you know, the attention is so important because I would just say to anyone listening, think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of, whether it's starting a business, being a good parent, learning to play the guitar, whatever it is, that thing that you're proud of required a huge amount of sustained focus and attention. And the evidence shows when your ability to focus gets worse, your ability to solve your problems gets worse, your ability to achieve your goals gets worse. You feel worse about yourself because you actually are less competent. So also I wanted to understand why is this happening to all of us and what can we do about it? So I ended up going on this big journey all over the world from Moscow to Miami to Melbourne to interview over 200 of the leading experts on attention and focus. And actually what I learned surprised me. There's scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make it worse. Some of them are in our tech. It's not all of our tech. Some of them are things I've never even thought about, like the food we eat is really affecting the way we focus and pay attention, the way our offices work, the way our kids' schools work. It's a whole array of things. But crucially, once you understand these 12 factors, you can begin to to, to deal with these problems, both for yourself and for your kids. But the key thing to understand is, if that's happening to you and your children, it's not your fault. It's not their fault. This is happening to almost all of us. The book is called Stolen Focus because your attention didn't collapse, right? Your attention has been stolen from you by some really big forces. Understood. So there's things you could do. So don't reject a, don't reject net, your phone, but you gotta you got to – maybe if you want to have dinner and talk to people, you put it in a tub when you walk in the room. When you have to have a meeting, you, put, you don't give people even the temptation to look. So for all of the 12 factors that I write about in my book that are harming attention, there's sort of I go through lots of things that we can do. So I'll give you an example, if it's okay, Brian, of one of the problems and then some of the things we can do about it. I think it's, it, this is all much easier when you understand what's actually happening to you, right? So I went to interview one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, an amazing man named Professor Earl Miller. And he said to me, look, You've got to understand one thing about the human brain more than anything else. You can only consciously do one or two things at a time. Think about one or two things at a time. That's it. This is a fundamental limitation of the human brain. Human brain has not changed in a very long time. Ain't going to change on any time scale we're going to see. But what's happened is we've fallen for a kind of mass delusion. The average teenager now believes they can follow six or seven forms of media at the same time. And the rest of us are not that far behind them. So what happens is scientists like Professor Miller get people into labs and they get them to think they're doing more than one thing at a time. And they monitor them and they see the results. 
And what they discover is always the same. You can't do more than one thing at a time. You can't think about more than one thing at a time. What you do is you juggle very quickly. You're like, wait, Brian, what did you just ask me? What is this message on WhatsApp here? What does it say on the TV over there? What is this message on, on Facebook? Wait, Brian, tell me again, what, what were you just asking me? So you're constantly juggling. The kind of fancy term for it is the switch cost effect. When you're switching between tasks, it comes with a cost. And it's a really big cost. Being constantly interrupted is twice as bad for your intelligence in the short term as smoking cannabis, right? It's, this is really screwing with us. It's why Professor Miller says we're living in a perfect storm of cognitive degradation as a result of being constantly interrupted. So if you think about that one of, of the 12 causes, right, um, there's loads of things we can do about that. Some of them are at an individual level and some are at a bigger level. So I'll give you an example. I've got, um, stupidly I'm pointing at it, but uh, always forget, it's the radio. No one can see what I'm doing. Uh, over in the corner of the room there, I've got something called a K-safe. It's very simple. It's a plastic safe. You take off the lid, you put in your phone, you put on the lid, you turn the dial at the top, and it locks your phone away for anything between five minutes and a whole day. I won't sit down and watch a film with my partner unless we all imprison our phones. I won't have my friends around for dinner unless everyone agrees to put their phone in the phone jail. Um, on your, you can also install on your phone and sync with your laptop an app called Freedom which will cut you off either from specific websites, say you're addicted to Instagram or whatever it might be, or it can cut you off from the entire internet, however long you tell it to. So I recommend everyone with kids buy a K-Safe, install Freedom on your kids' phones, let them have some time on tech, but it shouldn't be their whole lives. You know, um, so there's all sorts of very practical things, dozens of them that I go through in the book. But so, so what does the Freedom do? app do? It stops what, what sites from coming through? So you install it, and then you can tell it what apps to cut you off. Oh, with. okay. So say that say your obsession was Instagram, right? Yep. Um, you could say, "Don't let me go on Instagram for the next three hours." And then once you push the button, if you go to Instagram, it just says the site is blocked. You're free. Go spend your life doing what you will. Right. So it's a very helpful thing. Or you could use it to cut you off from the entire internet. But the key thing is, um, it's about locking in uh, your future self, right? You you, you know our. I don't want to eat these cookies, but I'm going to crack if I have them in my kitchen, right? It's similar to that. It's saying um, it's helping you to control and discipline yourself. Because the truth is, and this is why we need to think about this at a bigger level, right? I'm really passionately in favor of all the individual changes that I talk about in Stolen Focus that massively help you and your children. There's also got to be another layer to this. Because the truth is, at the moment... It's like someone is pouring itching powder over us all day. I know. And they're leaning forward and going, hey, buddy, you should learn to meditate. Then you wouldn't be scratching all the time. And you want to say, well, so how with you, buddy? I'll learn to meditate, but you need to stop pouring this damn itching powder on me. So we've got to understand why. Think about this factor, for example, out of the 12. I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley interviewing people who designed key aspects of the world in which we now live. Give you an example. It's a guy called Dr. James Williams, um, who worked at the heart of developing Gmail and Google. And one day he was speaking at a conference where the audience are literally the people who design the stuff your kids are using today. And he said to them, if there's anyone here who wants to live in the world that we're creating, please put up your hand. And nobody put up their hand. Right? Wow. Not long afterwards, he quit. He was so horrified. So speaking to lots of people in Silicon Valley, they kept explaining to me. And to be honest with you, you know, I actually it took me quite a long time to really believe this. 
they specifically have designed these apps we use to hack and invade our, our attention and our children's attention for a specific reason. If you, anyone listening, please don't. But if you open to TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram now, those companies immediately begin to make money out of you in two ways, right? The first way is really obvious. You see advertising. Okay, everyone knows how that works. Second way is much more important. Everything you ever do on these apps is scanned and sorted by their artificial intelligence algorithms to figure out one thing. They're figuring out what can we push at you that will keep you scrolling. Because the longer you scroll, the yep. more ads you see, the more money they make. So all of this genius in Silicon Valley, all of these algorithms, all of this artificial intelligence is geared towards one thing and one thing only, figuring out how do we get you to open the app as often as possible and scroll as long as possible? How do we get your kids to open the app as long as possible and scroll as long as possible? And they are unbelievably good at it. Another friend of mine who worked at the heart of Google, Tristan Harris, said, you can try having self-control. Your kids can try having self-control. But every time you do, there are 10,000 engineers on the other side of the screen yeah. trying to undermine your self-control, which is why we've got to regulate big tech. You know what I noticed, too, which, which, so bro- which is so brilliant about you, is that what you do, you're telling people this, maybe for the first time, and then people are going to have some pride. And they'll say, wait a second, I want to think for myself. I do not want to be manipulated by my phone by my iPad. I don't want to be manipulated by social media. Once you, oh, There's a lot of people listening right now who will say, I'm taking action today. I will decide when I'm going to be going on my apps, when I'm going to be looking down, and instead of engaging with the people right next to me. The other area of your expertise is addiction, and you have a, a new audio book out uh, that you just did called Chasing the Scream, and essentially the headline is, everything we thought about addiction is wrong. Yeah, you know, this was a very personal subject for me. We had a lot of addiction, still do, in my family. And um, one of my earliest memories is of trying to wake up one of my relatives and and not being able to, and I I was too young to understand then why. But as I got older, I realized we had addiction in my family. And and like a lot of people who've got someone they love with an addiction problem, there's going to be loads of people listening in this situation. I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel like what I was doing was helping. I didn't know what would help. So I wrote Chasing the Screen because I wanted to figure out, I wanted to understand addiction and I wanted to understand what would help. So I ended up going on this really big journey all over the world to, to research the book. And I learned a huge amount of things. But I think one of the most shocking to me was that I had actually misunderstood the addiction that I had seen right in front of me all my life. Right. So if you'd said to me when I started researching the book 10 years ago, Brian, let's talk about heroin addiction because it's close to me, but it applies to all the others. If you said to me, what causes heroin addiction? I would have looked at you like you're an idiot. And I would have said, well, Brian, the clues in the name, obviously heroin causes heroin addiction. We've been told this story for 100 years that's become totally part of our common sense. It was certainly part of mine. So we think if you kidnapped the next 20 people who walked past your studio and every day you injected them with heroin three times a day, like a villain in a Saw movie, at the end of that month, they'd all be addicted to heroin for a simple reason. There's chemical hooks in heroin that their bodies would start to desperately physically crave. And at the end of that month, they'd be addicted, right? They'd have a tremendous physical hunger for the chemical hooks in the drug. Um, First thing that alerted me to the fact there's something not right about that story is... In Britain, where I'm from, as you can tell from my weird Downton Abbey accent, if, if, uh, if you, I step out into the street now and I get hit by a truck and I break my hip, I'll be taken to hospital and they'll give me a lot of a drug called diamorphine. 
diamorphine is heroin. It's medically pure heroin. It's much better than anything you'd ever score on the streets. People in Britain are given medically pure heroin for quite long periods of time. If anyone listening has a British grandma who's had a hip replacement operation, your grandma's taken a lot of heroin. If what we think about addiction is right, that it's caused primarily or entirely by the chemical hooks in the drug, what should be happening to all these people in British hospitals? They should be leaving after being given heroin and trying to score on the streets. Yep. This has been studied very carefully. It never happens. And when I learned that, I just thought, well, that cannot be true. It doesn't make sense of the opioid crisis in the U.S. It doesn't make sense of anything. How could you have a situation where you've got someone in a hospital bed, they'd be given a lot of medically pure heroin, they do not become addicted, and you've got someone in the alleyway outside shooting up who does? How could that make sense? And I only began to understand it when I went to Vancouver and interviewed an incredible man named Professor Bruce Alexander, who did an experiment that has transformed how we understand addiction. So Professor Alexander explained to me the story we've got in our heads, that addiction is caused primarily or entirely by exposure to the chemicals in the drug, the hooks in the drug, comes from a series of experiments that were done earlier in the 20th century. They're really simple experiments. Anyone listening at home, um, you could try them yourself. You take a rat, you put it in a cage, and you give it two water bottles. One is just water, and the other is water laced with either heroin or cocaine. You probably shouldn't do this at home. Um, and you leave the rat. And the rat will try both, and it will almost always prefer the drug water and almost always kill itself by overdosing within a few weeks. You might remember there was a famous advertisement in the 1980s, an anti-drugs ad that showed these experiments, right? Right. So there you go. That's our story. The rat tries the drug. It gets obsessed with the chemical hooks. It wants more and more of them until it eventually ODs. But in the 70s, Professor Alexander came along and said, hang on a minute. You put these rats alone in an empty cage. They got nothing that makes life worth living for rats. All they've got is the drugs. What would happen if we did this differently? So he built a cage that he called Rat Park, which is um, it's basically like heaven for rats. Gotcha. They've got loads of friends. They've got loads of cheese. They've got loads of colored balls. They can have loads of sex. Anything a rat likes is there in Rat Park. And they've got both the water bottle, the, the, both the water bottles, the, the normal water and the drug water. And this is the fascinating thing. In Rat Park, they don't like the drug water. They hardly ever use it. None of them use it compulsively. None of them overdose. So you go from extremely high rates of overdose when they do not have the things that make life worth living to no compulsive use and overdose when they do have the things that make life worth living. Now, there's lots of human examples of this. This is playing out all around us. Where is the opioid crisis happening? It's happening in the places where despair is highest, right? Where all the other indicators of despair, this is why one of the experts on it called them deaths of despair. Right. If so, you want to understand why people are taking painkillers, you've got to understand why they're in such pain. But the most important thing I learned from this is the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, valuable though that is to many people. The opposite of addiction is connection. The core of addiction is about not wanting to be present in your life because your life is such a painful place to be. And once you understand that, gotcha. you can see why what we do is not working because what we do is the war on drugs, right? And that theory is, well, people who, people who are addicted, we've got to give them an incentive to stop by punishing them. But once you understand that pain is the cause, pain right. is the driver, you begin to see that actually makes the problem worse. Whereas there are policies that can actually save the lives of the people I love and the people that right. people listening love Yo as well. Johan, uh, you've helped a lot of people with those, with those two great topics and all your research. Stolen focus oh. and chasing the scream. Uh, go out and get oh. it. Johan Hari, thanks so much.
Oh, cheers, Brian. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Back at you. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. After a lackluster campaign launched two months ago, Donald Trump is now hitting the road, making stops this weekend in New Hampshire and South Carolina. Trump's going to talk about all of the big political issues that interest him, the economy, Ukraine. I'm kidding. He's going to talk about himself. That's, that's his only interest. <laughs> uh, we'll see. If he does, If uh, and all kidding aside, James Corden about to leave the country. He's had it. But you know, all kidding aside, if he goes out, on Saturday in South Carolina, and I imagine Sunday in New Hampshire, if he goes out there and is talking about the issues, takes on Joe Biden directly about what he said yesterday about his economy, goes out and talks about the lack of trade deals, the collapse of the border, how he'd handle Ukraine. This is what I do with the economy. This is what I really uh, this is what was left undone and doesn't even bring up 2020. And if someone shouts a Question Adam, you maybe answer it. Yeah, still uncomfortable with a lot of what things went down, but we're looking ahead. Uh, then I would say game on. And I actually think some people would decide not to get in the race if he shows another wrinkle to his game. But can you do that at 76 years old? I think it's possible. You know why? Because unlike Joe Biden, he hasn't spent 50 years in government. He's been most of it in business, adjusting to the different climate. One thing about business, the only people that are successful are the ones that can can change. So we'll see. Ron DeSantis still not in. I think Nikki Haley with her book out, Mike Pompeo with his book out, Mike Pence with their book out. Every time I'd left after, after they left after the interview, I said to myself, they're running. I have outside Senator Tom Cotton who said, kids are too young, not going to do it. I think everybody else is basically in until further notice. Just the formality is not done yet. What do you think? From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Geraldo Rivera is standing by. We're coming to you for 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, will be joining us. Talking about, well, I don't know how the investigation's going on Donald Trump in the 2020 election. And will there be what the grand jury might have handed up or not handed up. The worry that may, may, uh, major cities have after the uh, possible brutal beating that resulted in the death of a suspect uh, that ha- took place in Tennessee, in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, a lot of people say this video, when it comes out, is going, to, uh, is going to electrify in a bad way a lot of inner city. Uh, we'll talk about all that, but first let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This administration is making it effectively impossible to seek refuge at our border. The courts rightly rejected the Trump administration's attempt to categorically end asylum. Doing better than Trump doesn't mean it shouldn't be the bar. (laughs) Guess what? We're just too tough at the border. Joe, you're just too tough. According to 70 plus Democrats, they put together a letter saying that he's too tough. These delusional Dems uh, want him to loosen up. Yes, AOC leading the way will bring you the reality. Number two. Well, we've had three 
substandard election cycles in a row, 18, 20, and 22. I think we need uh, a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. Governor Ron DeSantis putting his political weight behind Harmeet Dillon. Fight for the future GOP at the RNC, meeting as, as Governor DeSantis weighs in, as you know, uh, while calling out Ronald McDaniel. Meanwhile, Dems have an issue with their current president poised for re-election. It looks like one of his cabinet secretary more popular in the key state of New Hampshire. Number one. Under my predecessor, the last guy that was president, the deficit in four went up four years in a row. No president added more to the debt in four years than my president. Unbelievable. WWE fashion, the economy, instead of outlining his vision, the president mocks Republican Vince McMahon style. Uh, while the rhetoric is poison and politically disastrous, I think, for him and the nation. And simmering beneath it all, a classified document scandal that won't go away. With me right now, Geraldo, I hope never goes away, will be joining me today, co-host of The Five. Geraldo, are you, you're not going to be on The Five today, right? Uh, not today. No, I'm uh, in Ohio, snowy Ohio. I'll be on The Five now, next week. Are you going to go to uh, a sports bar and watch the Cincinnati Bengals uh, play for a right to go to the Super Bowl again? I don't know. We have town hall. We have some great uh, Harbor Inn. We have some great uh, sports bars here in town. I don't know. I have a lot of house guests coming in because we're having a big party for Erica's 20, uh, 48th birthday. 28. She's, 40, uh, she's 48 actually on Monday, but we're having a big party on Saturday. Wish you were here uh, to attend, Brian, because you definitely would be invited. Oh, that would be great because a lot of times you'll say to me, I'm an alternate. I'd be fourth or fifth. <laughs> And you say in case of an injury or an illness, and you'll call me and say, Brian, be ready. And then a lot of times the the day just passes. I think that you have been doing amazing work, uh, particularly recently. When you told, I forget who it was, uh, you can't keep giving up 20% of Ukraine and expect peace as the outcome. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, so I didn't know where you stood with that. That was uh, uh, J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance, exactly, who, from Ohio, the senator from Yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm amongst the minority here. Uh, I think that more and more Republicans just want out, and I just don't think they understand, not, not, not that they don't understand, but I just vehemently disagree. It's going to get so much worse if we do not stop them here. I just wish we'd give them enough to win instead of enough not to lose. I, I appreciate that, and I agree with it. I would love the... Uh, the banged-up old uh, F-16s to make their way to Ukraine. I, I, I don't understand how people like J.D. Vance, a smart man, can look at Russia's aggression in a neighboring country and think that the 20 percent appeasement I mean, didn't, didn't they read anything about World War II and the appeasement of Hitler in Czechoslovakia and what that led to? Uh, you know, you, take a, you give them uh, 20% and then what's to stop the next 20 or the next 20 or the neighboring country? Uh, Russian aggression must be stopped. Uh, the Ukrainians are shedding blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, they've done an incredible job halting one of the world's great armies. Uh, it, it is so, uh, it is heart wrenching. So let me bring you to this and tell me if you think this makes any sense. The New York Post got us uh, a story about this war, about us pledging 31 M1A2 tanks. Do you know that we don't have any? They say that we do not have any extra tanks. We don't have the tanks available in excess in our U.S. stocks, which is why it's going to take months to transfer M1A2 Abrams tanks. Wait a second. Are you kidding me? So I talked to General Jack Keene about this. I can't remember if it was on or off air today. 
And he said, Brian, it makes no sense. The Marines have given up their tanks. They are changing their tactics. They don't think they need them. We got all those tanks in warehouse. And he said, we definitely have tanks in Europe that we could transfer over. The Europeans have 2,000 tanks in all of the German tanks, the Leopard 2 tanks. But they've only, here's a dozen. So how could we possibly only have pledged 31 tanks? That's a decision. But not to have them is insane. I, I agree with that. I think just to, to, to uh, slightly uh, 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 disagree, I, I, the, to me, the 31 Abrams tanks, whether we have them there or here and whether we deliver them in a year or three months, uh, the whole idea was to trigger the neighboring countries who have those great Leopard 2 German tanks available, like Poland. Uh, you know, Romania, the yeah. other uh, bordering uh, Ukraine countries, that where it would be relatively easy to just put them on trucks or trains and get them uh, to Ukraine. Uh, and I understand they're easier uh, to uh, to learn how to operate. I, I it, it is it is absolutely mandatory that they get that the Ukrainians get armor. Uh, you know, modern armor, modern tanks to, to blunt the expected spring offensive uh, by the Russians. The Russians are floundering now. Uh, we need a steel wall, a new steel curtain uh, to, uh, to stop their further advance into Ukraine. It's a, a grinding away now, a trench warfare. That's what tanks were invented to, to, right. to, to, to beat. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you and General Kane. He, he's the best military analyst there is. What he says, that's my opinion. Whatever his opinion is, that's my opinion, because he really has been spot on right from the beginning, even before uh, the Russian invasion, uh, where we all expected it. But not really. He said it was going to happen, and it did happen. And now uh, we have to stop Putin before he uh, totally destabilizes all of Europe. Right? Absolutely. So. Uh, we're talking, obviously, with Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, uh, sometime today, uh, sometime today, Governor Ron, De- uh, Ron DeSantis is going to find out if he's going to get his woman because Hamid Dillon uh, is the, to his choice as the R- GOP decides who's going to run the RNC. This was surprising to me. Cut 14. Well, we've had three substandard election cycles in a row, 18, 20, and 22. And I would say of all three of those, 22 was probably the worst I think we need uh, a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. Uh, I like what Harmeet Dillon has said about getting the RNC out of D.C. Now, she's uh, overwhelmingly looked to still to retain that, you know, unless something goes awry in California. What about Governor Ron DeSantis weighing in at this late date, knowing that he could get behind somebody who loses? Well, you would think that he is uh, feeling his oats, that uh, the polls are energizing him. There's no doubt he's a formidable uh, political figure. Whether he can take on uh, Trump uh, head-to-head uh, remains to be seen. But I, I, I think I, I, I have, I've totally come around on DeSantis. I, I believe now that uh, he is the, the best Republican candidate for uh, uh, for the next election cycle. I think that uh, he, he really has put it together, conservative principles. Uh, he can govern uh, in a way that uh, he attracts moderates as well. He's done so well with uh, Latinos in Florida. 
Uh, he, he's been very flamboyant in some of his actions. I really detested what he did uh, in Malta's Vineyard, but there's no doubt right. that it attracted the attention of a lot of uh, uh, a lot of blue state uh, mayors uh, that said, uh, "Oh, yeah, there is a problem at the border." So let's talk about what happened in Memphis uh, first week in January. Uh, one uh, suspect was pulled over for reckless driving. You know, something happened. We don't know, but he fled. These five cops chased him down, all black, the suspect black, and beat him senseless for three minutes. He would go into the hospital, into a coma, would not recover. He would die. They say the, the video is so bad. This is by fellow police officers. They fired all five of them. Four of them have been bailed out for now until they stay in trial. Obviously, one is still in jail. And when the video comes out tonight, there's a fear, there's a fear in every major city, small and big, that uh, there could be riots. Uh, Here is Steve Milroy, the Shelby County District Attorney. Cut 25. While each of the five individuals played a different role in the incident in question, the actions of all of them resulted in the death of Tyree Nichols, and they are all responsible. What's your thought? How's this going to be? What do you expect to happen if if it is as bad as everybody says? Well, first of all, you have inhumane, disturbing, disgusting, heinous, gruesome. Uh, they've built up this uh, this video. I wish they had released it already. Uh, you know, so they're dumping it on Friday night. Uh, I, I don't know the dynamic. It says, I said on uh, Fox and Friends this morning, you had these three major incidents. You had Monterey Park, 11 dead. You had Half Moon Bay, seven dead. And now in, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, where Martin Luther King was uh, notoriously assassinated, you have the, uh, this uh, uh, Tyree Nichols, this 29-year-old, who was beaten by uh, this, the Scorpions, this elite, uh, you know, on the street, uh, tactical cops, tough guys, uh, young, macho, brave. All black. All black, and that, I think that the fact that all black wasn't emphasized from the get-go it shows how 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 woke has uh, has crippled us. So in all three cases, in Monterey Park, where the eleven were killed, Asian perpetrator; uh, Half Moon Bay, where seven were killed, Asian perpetrator; Memphis, Tennessee, five cops beat a black man to death, all black. That has to be in the headline that they were all black. That this is not racial. This is, whatever it is, it's it's hideous, uh, it's horrible what happened, but it's not a race, uh, you know. And so, for have Ben Crum, the lawyer who's always out front uh, in these things, uh, you know, I I lament, I weep for this family, uh, but this is not a racial incident. I remember when Charles Blow, the uh, ultra liberal columnist at the New York Times, his son got beaten by a cop in New Haven. Uh, and it was a, a, a poignant story, a, a, a outrageous uh, story, uh, really pissed off a lot of people. And he, he forgot to mention, conveniently, that his black son was beaten by a black cop. Uh, you know, we have to call these people to task. They have to tell the truth. And part of the truth in Memphis is the, the quandary, the, uh, the, 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 the mystery, how five you know, uh, high-functioning, elite cops, black men, young black men, could do this to, a, a, you know, to a, another black man. 
it is it is a case of brutality, but it's not race based. And I think that one right. of the reasons we have such racial problems is we dance around issues that that cloud the stereotype, as has happened in Memphis and in Half Moon Bay and in Monterey Park, Brian. Right. So I was told today, Lawrence uh, Jones told me today, he's like, Brian, the problem's not uh, black. It's it's black, not on white. It's black on blue. White, uh, the blue has a problem with blacks, and blacks have a problem with the blue. And I was, I was struck by that. I go, you know, that's really uh, – that's a different headline for me. I, I think I was that not, that's true. It is true. Yeah. But uh, the – I it will be interesting to see. We all uh, have bated breath waiting to see what happens tonight in Memphis. My cop friends tell me that because the cops are, are black men that you won't have uh, Black Lives Matter and some Hope of these other man. agitators yeah. as extreme, as, uh, as impassioned as maybe they ordinarily are. He is uh, Geraldo Rivera, always taking on the tough issues, but the biggest one is pulling off that 48-year-old birthday party for his wife. <laughs> that will decide what kind of weekend you have. Geraldo, don't drop the ball. My best, Brian. Wish you were here. All right, absolutely. And all again, right. if I once it was in the starting lineup one time, I would have made arrangements. But I'm always an alternate, and that is, <laughs> I have to wait for an injury or an illness, and it really you're, hurts. You're me. the most underrated commentator on TV. Thank you. That's better than an invite. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Rado. Back. Uh, listen, when we come back, this is your time to talk. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. And uh, we will read the comments from today's Facebook Live. Right, Allison. We will. Right. In the bed. But ultimately, Eric will make the ultimate decision. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If we don't stop the fentanyl and opioid abuse... It is going to destroy generations to come. This is a major crisis that we are sleeping on. Fentanyl is destroying our cities across America. Why is it that it takes the mayor of New York City to say what Joe Biden should be saying every single day? In fact, when he brings up his terrible border policies or anything or denies that he has border problems, never brings up fentanyl. That's a unifying word. Nobody says Republicans want fentanyl or hate fentanyl. They know it kills people instantly, 50 times more powerful than heroin. But it takes the mayor of New York City to put it into a state of the city address. And I bet you it does not get in the state of the union address when the president does that in a couple of weeks. And and when he comes back and says what his goals are, I'm sure he won't bring that up. But yet, if you want to do something that's universal, if you want to know, think about this. When you go to a movie tonight, when you go out to dinner with your friends, you have people over, any type of interaction, you have friends over to, to watch the game. Fentanyl will come up or somebody will come up and talk about some tragedy that happened, but they're not people necessarily strung out on the streets and a long time addicts. It happens to people who, let's say, take Adderall to study more or to stay up later to be more effective. It doesn't necessarily link to addicts. That's the scary part. And what's worse is the stuff we don't get across the border and the amount we do get makes me think with uh, the stats say that much more is, uh, is flooding through. So here's Joe Biden. Had a chance to talk about what he thinks his economy is and his vision for the next two years, even regardless, regardless of, of uh, what he's going to say after he launches. He's not running yet. So you would think he'd pull back. Cut one. Under my predecessor, 
the last guy that was president. The deficit in four, went up four years in a row, accounting for 40% of the entire 200 years of debt. You hear me? No president added more to the debt in four years than my president. I, I misspoke. 25% of our country's entire debt, 25% accumulated over 200 years, added to the, by the last administration in just four years. That is totally unnecessary, number one. Number two is, okay, you bring up, you think you got the debt down. You got the debt down for one reason. is because the pandemic spending stopped, and the reason why we gradually added jobs is because people went back to work. And the reason why he rocketed up the debt in the last year is one reason. Nothing to do with tax cuts. Nothing to do with his tax reform. This is it. If you don't like the former president's tax reform, okay, good luck. But don't say it was for the rich. What it was is getting our trade taxes, international taxes, down to a competitive rate. The upper class got a 1% tax decrease. Most of the stuff was working class, those who were paying in, and middle class. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. We always love having, I have the first time I talked to him since he won, uh, the still, uh, still the Secretary of State in Georgia, uh, Brad Raffensperger. Uh, Brad, welcome back. Congratulations. Thank you. Good morning, Brian. But I think when I saw you with Herschel that day, I think you, you, I got the sense from you that you pretty sure you were going to win. When did you know, uh, when did the numbers make you feel you had this? Well, after we won the primary, we just felt really confident. Yeah. Uh, we had a strong message, and we made sure that we had fair and honest elections uh, since day one, going back to when Stacey Abrams lost by 55,000 votes in the 2020 race and then this last cycle. Um, and so we knew we had to build a broad-based coalition that was going to win a general election. So, Brad, most of the country really disturbed about what took place last week in Atlanta over the existence of a police academy, I think paid for by the police union. Can you give well, us a? Uh, well, yeah, but actually, uh, many we've had many of our, uh, you know, people uh, in Georgia donate money for that also to get You're that kidding. up and running. And so it was uh, horrifying that a state trooper would be shot. And how about this? How about people coming from the outside to wreak havoc in your city? Uh, very upsetting. And the governor's taking the appropriate actions. Make would sure you- that we have, you know, uh, law and order. We just can't have people, you know, tearing up the place. And so he's made the right decisions. I mean, is is Antifa, this was an Antifa operation. These kids are mostly white privileged kids. And most people are said how organized some of this stuff was between the, the communications between them and the way they just wreaked havoc in the streets. Where do you guys, how do you guys view Antifa? Well, I think we all, um, you know, we condemn it uh, because it's a violent organization. And I think it'd be nice if people on the left side uh, would condemn it also. I'm grateful for the mayor of Atlanta that he's been working with the governor. They understand that at the end of the day, people that live in, you know, neighborhoods with high crime, they want to make sure they have good policing and they have safe streets. And so we're really working on, you know, training up police uh, so we can respond to people's needs and make sure we have safe neighborhoods throughout the entire state. You know, I've talked to a I've talked to people at Buckhead. They want their own police force. Where do you stand, Brad? Uh, 
Well, that's a local decision. I'm staying in my lane, making sure we have fair and honest elections. I want to make sure that only American citizens are voting our elections. And I know if you've been watching and reading, but uh, Vermont Supreme Court already has ruled that non-citizens can vote in local elections. And that's really how it starts sometimes. And we want to make sure that there's constitutional amendments at every state that only American citizens should vote. You know, it's very logical. If you have to be an American citizen to be uh, on the jury pool, doesn't it make sense only American citizens should be voting? In fact, Connecticut has a state bill that they filed that they actually would allow illegal immigrants to vote in state elections. Right. It's nuts. Connecticut's moving in that direction, too. They brought it up in New York City. It's got to be challenged because it's not constitutional. Right. So all you need is somebody to challenge this rule. Well, what happened in Vermont, the Supreme Court actually ruled in favor of having non-citizens vote in local elections. And that's very troubling. So you need a constitutional amendment. And I don't know if that'll happen in in a state like them in Vermont, but we really need to push that throughout the entire uh, country. In fact, in Georgia, we've asked the General Assembly to introduce a constitutional amendment and make sure that only Americans are voting in our elections. It's not just federal, it's not just state, but really in municipal elections. We use one voter roll, one voter registration list for all of the elections. And if you end up with non-citizens voting in municipal elections, they can end up on your uh, voter rolls that are showing up for state elections. And we want to make sure that only Americans are voting. Well, let me just tell you something. If you think the border's wide open with this Democratic administration now, if their theory is new immigrants will thank us by voting for us, all hell will break loose. Well, that's why I'm the first one to do a full citizenship check of our voter rolls. Uh, right now, we have actually 16 municipalities in the United States that are allowing non-citizens to vote. There's two in California, 11 in Maryland, one in New York, and now you have two in Vermont. Uh, there's only four state constitutions that explicitly require U.S. citizenship to vote in state and local elections. And I think that states need to start paying attention to that. I would think that that would certainly help. So uh, you're much ridiculed. Uh, by people who did not fully understand it, Georgia voting laws that had Major League Baseball pick up stakes and some major corporations uh, leave or or reduce their presence. It turns out everything went smooth, z- almost zero complaints, effectiveness. Uh, you graded uh, extremely high on all counts. Who would you who would you like to hear an apology from? Well, it's not about that. We just know that the voters are happy. <laughs> it was a crazy poll that came out. Uh, you couldn't believe the numbers, but 99% of the yeah. voters that were polled, they reported no problems. Uh, it was a, a 0% from African-American voters that said they got a poor uh, you know, response. And so that meant that we did something right. And so we had those kind of numbers just off the chart. 90% of liberal voters you know, loved the way we had. 69% of conservatives felt confident about the results. So we still have some work to shore up that confidence, but we do risk-limiting audits. But um, only 5% had longer than a 30-minute wait time. When you think about that, only 5%. So lines were kept short because we put that into state law. We made sure that we had plenty of opportunities for early voting. We had record registrations, record turnout. It was just a good experience all the way around. We had smiles on people's faces because they knew that their vote count and they had short lines. Listen, when a state screws up their election like Florida did for, what, uh, maybe six straight times? They, they, they're embarrassed because they know the whole well, rest of the country is looking at them. And when all the controversy was swirling around the last time, people want to fix it. Well, we've, we've addressed all the issues in Georgia. Uh, one of the things that we need is a constitutional amendment that only American citizens uh, vote in our elections. But if you look at it, we have 
lines have to be shorter than one hour. The average wait time was two minutes. Everything was less than an hour. You know, very few people were more than 30 minutes in line. And then we had record turnout. And we let people vote. They get to choose. Do you want to vote absentee? Do you want to vote early? Or do you want to vote day of election? But no matter how you vote, you have photo ID. When we shored up that photo ID for all forms of voting and took away the signature match as the way of identifying absentee voters, that really shored up confidence. And by shoring up confidence, we think it really enhanced the experience for all voters. So they felt comfortable about the results. Do you, do you know roughly how many people came to you guys and said, I don't have any ID? I need, can I get something that verifies my identity? Uh, no, I'll get that number for you, but I don't recall anyone. No right. outpouring of that. Everyone has ID. You, you can't get on a plane. You can't go anywhere without using your credit card. You have to show photo ID. And in Georgia, it's not just your driver's license. We actually allow up to eight different forms of identification, just like we do for in-person voting. So whatever we use for in-person voting, then that's what we use also for absentee voting. But I think really Congress should take a look at that. I think there should be a nationwide photo ID for all federal elections. And I think Congress needs to look at their list maintenance uh, laws. One of the challenges we still have in Georgia and all states have is 90 days before an election, we cannot update our voter rolls. And yet studies show that 11% of all Americans move every year. We have 7.6 million registered voters. So in 90 days, we have potentially 200,000 people that have moved around the state or moved out of the state. Just imagine what happens across the nation. And if we can't update the voter rolls, then you have a dirty list. And we're just saying we'll update our list objectively. We use forms and organizations to allow us to do that. So we're not pulling people off. We just know they don't live here anymore. We can't do anything about it. So those are some of the things. And I think there should be a federal ban on ballot harvesting. It should be banned. Ballot harvesting should be banned. We banned it. Arizona banned it. Other states have banned it. And we think the only person that should touch your ballot is you, the voter. Well, you know, you the, these states are going to decide, and I just hope our Republican governors would would listen to you because both those things make total sense. Non-citizens are voting, being able to adjust your non-citizens not voting, be able to adjust your voter rolls up until very close to Election Day. And number three is voting harvesting. Seems it, it, it's implicit corruption in the other, other definition, but nothing seems to change. It won't change in a lot of these liberal states. Mr. Uh, Secretary, last question for you. What could you tell us about the investigation into uh, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and all those uh, and the grand jury? Uh, She stays in her lane. I stay in my lane. I don't know what, uh, you know, is going to transpire over there. It's a legal matter. So we don't comment. We just wait and see what she does. Is there a timeline for this? No. All right. Uh, Ms. Secretary, thanks so much. Congratulations on your victory. And hopefully you have peace in your cities tonight. So do I. Thank you, Brian. Take okay. care. one 408 7669 When we come back, we'll open up the phones. Also find out if you need to know more. And just remind you, One Nation with Matt Taibbi, Carly Lloyd will be on talking about special forces, uh, the reality show she's on that is way too real. And the other, uh, another one person, you'll have Vivek Ramaswamy talking about this new chat box, that virtual reality that can do your papers and basically do everything you can do. Uh, it's getting scary, this virtual reality. We'll talk to him about that and so much more. And Tim Scott, will he be running for president? Getting close. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
the more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. I guess the more you listen, the more you know means I should find out if you need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. Well, first off, James Corden had a pretty good uh, cut from his monologue last night talking about the news of the day. You know, you can't look at Kimmel. It's a waste of time. Stephen Colbert is remarkably partisan and unfunny. But James Corden, on his way out, every once in a while, uh, I always say I think he's unbelievably talented, by the way. But in terms of, uh, I'm not saying his monologues are his strongest suit. But listen to this, cut 39. President Biden was in Virginia today speaking to some union members, and after one story, Biden paused to ask if Democratic Representative Don Beyer was in the audience. Now, keep in mind, the congressman he's looking for is named Don. I I said that uh, when I was seeking the nomination. I said, take a seat, everybody, and there wasn't a single chair in the place. I said, that Biden really is stupid. He doesn't know it. Where's Doug, congressman? He's around here somewhere. He called him Doug, then eventually the name donned on him. Now, even after being corrected, Biden still didn't seem so sure. And one more, I've been saying this during the last campaign, the off-year campaign. Doug knows. Look, here's the deal. Yeah, it's funny. Right up to the point when you realize that Donald Trump's going to be president again. Yeah, takes the edge off, doesn't it? Finally, Biden gave up and just rolled with his mistake. And again, I cannot stress this enough, the man's name is Don. Doug, I think you might have been with me when I invited the chairman of the board of three major automobile companies in America, in the South Lawn. Three times? He did it three times. Although I do think he made the right choice. You've got to just own it. If you do it once, it's a gaffe. Do you know what I mean? Three times, you just pretend <laughs> it was a joke. But after three times, even Don was like, is my name Don? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's pretty cool. Um, so, James Corden, it is, I did not know that. I mean, I'm surprised we have not played that. Because I know a little bit later on, he said Ukraine gets the tanks they need because they're the aggressor nation. Uh, I mean... Yeah. Well, oh, for the Biden. Well, no, what it was too for it's. Well, a we always reference him saying the wrong names, right? I think what was earlier this week or saying he forgot his defense secretary's name, which is ridiculous. But you really do need to do a longer form thing like that, like Corden just did, to show you how terrible it is. But then it also takes a minute and a half of the show, so it's right a little difficult. I know you're talking about for one nation, maybe do that in the open. That could be fun too. Next, a Connecticut business owner has got some backlash for. Naming uh, uh, something on their menu, Woke, as a pun. This Connecticut restaurant is called the Woke Breakfast and Coffee. The owner told the Connecticut Insider the name was meant to convey, wake up, you know, woke up, that type thing. When we were thinking of an idea, we obviously wanted to a word that represents something related to the morning. The name generated debate among town residents online. The owner immigrated to the U.S. from Mexico and said they did not know the term had some political meaning. A friend of mine uh, who's been training, actually, Katie, Kirsten, Brian. The name of his, his uh, great gym is Woke. And Woke was, in the beginning, was had a different meaning. It was like cutting edge, Woke, you know, you're something new. And now it's morphed into this, to me, negative all around. No one even says I'm Woke because they know it's going to get derision and everyone sees Woke like Governor Ron DeSantis and targets it. Yeah, except if you're in those circles, then you think it's a good thing. But is your friend going to change his business name? No, everything's on it. He's like, yeah. I got uh, I got all this stuff. Now, I'm not sure. You know, he's got to embrace it. But I don't. what happens is these guys, 
they get in gyms, they never leave. So they don't really know our world. So I don't know if he talks to other people that, that don't train him. Uh, I Listen, I would change it. Next. Chat boxes are taking over. Get this. There's a new virtual reality chat box that really can be you. If you want a paper done, if you want a, uh, if you have a project that needs to be handled, if you want to come up with a press release, it's Chatbox. Uh, and what it is, uh, it actually is this sophisticated tool that you could give a test and see how it would do. For example, Chatbox averaged a C plus when University of Minnesota law professor used it to generate answers for exams in four courses. The human, uh, uh, the humans average B plus average. But the chat box, virtual reality, chat GBT, actually uh, was slightly worse. The bigger potential for the profession here is that the lawyers could use uh, chat GPT to produce a rough first draft and just make it their pra- make their practice more effective. I hear that there's one of the this is going to argue an actual court case. That would be interesting. I mean, there's. People are definitely getting um, concerned and worried about the technology here because you could also not know when you're talking to a real person when it's really just the computer, which I'm sure a lot of people don't realize they're not talking to real people already, right? When you're on some company's website, right? It's like, hey, ask a question. Like, most of the time, they're not real people. So a job application written by the OpenAI chatbot uh, was shortlisted for an interview for a consultancy firm doing the better than many of the real applicants Neil Teller, the founder and communication consulting firm called whatever it's called, tested his recruitment team and hiring software to see if they could spot an application written by ChatGPT. They were thoroughly fooled. So you could do a paper or you could let it do the paper and maybe just, you know, punch it up a little bit. This is, to me, just the beginning of a huge issue. Agree, but it's also to put forth, it's all the more reason why face-to-face interaction and speaking with someone is so much more important. Unless you rather not and just hire, get this software. Right now it's free. Pay for it and have them do your press releases, do your papers, get your master's degree. But then what information do you actually know? Oh. You're not learning anything. Oh, that's sorry. Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> Next. Don't say mummy. Why museums are rebranding ancient Egyptian remains. Get this. They are among the most popular exhibits, but people say mummy is not politically correct. Some museums in Britain are now using the word uh, other than mummy to describe the displays of ancient Egyptian human remains. Instead, they're starting to adapt terms like mummified person or use the individual's name to emphasize that they were once living people. Do you think this is something that is should be addressed? Um, going back to that first story, it's sort of like overly woke. And also, um, we'll play it at another point in this show. I mean... It is why kids want to go to museums, right? You want to see the mummy. You don't want to Absolutely. see the plates or, like, the murals. You want to see the cool stuff. Right. Next. And Tom Brady will spend time with his kids after the NFL season. Calls his daughter his cutest roomie. Brady is spending time with his children. On Wednesday, took the Instagram story to share. I took an Instagram story to share a few posts of his kids um, with, uh, with the 42-year-old supermodel. Wow, so he's dating a supermodel? No, that he, I think they were referencing his kids with Giselle. <laughs> Basically just saying, like, he's been having fun with his kids at home. Oh, and okay, I got it. About... But I hear he is dating somebody. Ah. Right. It, big I relief. bet she's pretty ugly. Right. I'm sure she's <laughs> not, not a nice. supermodel. Especially after the way he played in that last game. Exactly. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. 
Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Nikki Smigs will be on shortly. Uh, Smurge Leo is the full name, but he's an up-and-coming comedian. He's going to be here talking about all the things uh, in the news. Shannon Bream is standing by. She could have done stand-up, uh, but she chose news uh, because she wanted most of the stuff in the prompter. Uh, and they wouldn't let her take a prompter onto the stage. More on that later. Uh, we're also following the, uh, a few uh, stories, one of which is people are preparing, most cities preparing for some type of unrest, certainly protests, after this video is going to emerge tonight of what looks to be five cops beating a suspect who would eventually die from, his, uh, from the beating after running after he was detained for reckless driving. So we'll continue to follow that story in Tennessee. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. This administration is making it effectively impossible to seek refuge at our border. The courts rightly rejected the Trump administration's attempt to categorically end asylum. Doing better than Trump doesn't mean it shouldn't be the bar. Uh, the, can you believe this? Joe, you're too tough at the border. I've never said that before. That's what the outcry is from 70-plus delusional Democrats. They want him to open it up again. Yes, uh, AOC, it has never been shut. We will bring you the reality. Number two. Well, we've had three substandard election cycles in a row, 18, 20, and 22. I think we need uh, a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. Wow. Governor Ron DeSantis, fight for the GOP at the RNC. The big meeting's happening in California, and you just heard it. DeSantis weighs in for Harmeet Dillon while calling out Ronna McDaniel. Meanwhile, Dems have an issue with their current president. He would lose in New Hampshire to one of his cabinet secretaries. Number one. Under my predecessor, the last guy that was president, the deficit in four went up four years in a row. No president added more to the debt in four years than my president. Right. The pandemic could have played a role, but I don't want to slow you down, Joe. The economy, instead of outlining its vision, the president mocks Republicans WWE style. Why his rhetoric is poisoned and politically disastrous for him and the nation. And simmering beneath it all, a classified document scandal that won't go away. You know, Shannon, if uh, if history tells us anything, every Friday we usually find out about some classified paperwork that the president has in a surprising place. Do you think any indications anyone's looking today? Uh, who knows? There are a lot of locations. And yeah, Friday or Saturday, we get these uh, surprising admissions that there's been another discovery. So we'll wait and see. Um, and I don't think it's just going to be President Biden or former Vice President Pence. I think everybody is like, OK, let's go through uh, whatever. If they come through an administration at a high level, ever handled classified documents. I think in the last few weeks, they've gotten on alert with their own legal teams. Like, let's look through it. I think that's probably what happened with Pence is that he's going to make a 2020 decision very soon. But I think he thought, okay, let's go and double check everything after what's happened with um, the other two big names. And so I won't be surprised if others come forward and say, yep, we found something. Well, Dan Quayle says, I haven't been asked. George Bush says, came up empty. Jimmy Carter said, well, that law came out after I left, so please leave me alone. So you left Al Gore and Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. So we'll see if uh, we'll see what happens. But there's no pressure, you think, 
for Garland to have a special prosecutor on Mike Pence, is there? I don't get that impression. Um, it was a relatively small amount. He found it. He came to them. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that Garland felt a lot of pressure because you had former President Trump already under investigation by special counsel that when Biden came forward, especially when it was then more than one location and document, I think they felt like, okay, for the optics of this, at least we have to launch special counsel to handle these two presidents, current and former, the same way. I don't think that Vice President Pence, unless he has another discovery, it's going to be enough to, uh, you know, invoke another special counsel. They, they'll run out of special counsels at some point. Right. I just amazing, too, is that I saw the bipartisan outrage because they did not come clean on what actually was contained yeah. in those classified documents. We saw Warner at the microphone with Tom Cotton and Marco Rubio saying, guys, I was able to see this while the special counsel was sta- uh, seated. The Mueller report, the Mueller investigation was happening. They were able to see everything in real time. But not these guys. Would you think they were expecting this blowback from their side? No, because as you said, it's interesting for the senators to come out from that briefing and you've got both sides saying this is inappropriate. We're going to fight to see these documents. You know, I mean, Congress or um, Republican Senator Tom Cotton is out there saying, yeah, we're going to shut down business in the Senate. I don't think Democrats will go along with him on that, but they are ticked, and there are so few things uh, on the Hill that are bipartisan in nature. But that blowback over that briefing and the inability to see the documents has crossed party lines. Right. I want you to hear what John Radcliffe said yesterday about the unevenness he sees between how Trump is handled and Biden's handled. Cut 12. I don't know that it's a double standard so much as it's a a two-party justice system, as you've just laid out. Democrats have been treated one way under uh, this system of justice and Republicans differently. Um, uh, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden have been treated exactly the same. Right. And if you think about it, they, the FBI actually went to Mike Pence's house. It took them weeks to go to Joe Biden's house and the lawyers were there the whole time. Maybe they could say, well, sitting president. I don't know. They didn't really give a lot of deference to Donald Trump. But remember, they raided Donald Trump's lawyer's uh, uh, office on a weekend while he was a sitting president. So they were all over him from day one. Yeah, and they know that there are these optics that they've got to deal with, that they've got to, and I think that's primarily why they went ahead and did a special counsel for President Biden. Then, of course, multiple locations and documents continued to pop up, so I think they probably feel very good about that decision. But they know that, um, you know, all the polling shows us that people are losing faith in American institutions. They don't trust the government increasingly. They don't trust these federal law enforcement agencies, and that's just not a good place for any of us to be. So I think that they know we are very well of the uh, aware of these optics, and we have to make sure that it looks like we're handling these the same. But there are differences in these cases that people will point to and say, yeah, well, you've got some you've got some goodwill to make up with the American people because it's flagging at this point. Well, you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the RNC and the DNC, not as important as they were, but they're still very important. Ronda McDaniels, favored to win, but being challenged by Harmie Dillon and the pillow guy. So here's what Governor Ron DeSantis did, kind of blowing up the process, cut 14. Well, we've had three substandard election cycles in a row, 18, 20, and 22. And I would say of all three of those, 22 was probably the worst. I think we need uh, a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. Uh, I like what Harmeet Dillon has said about getting the RNC out of D.C. So he, think about this tactically. 24 hours before a vote, he weighs in. In no campaigning, no Harmeet Dillon uh, co you know, co-press conference. Do you think there's risk for him for going out there if Ronna McDaniel wins like she's supposed to? 
might be, but uh, I think he feels pretty Teflon at this point. I mean, Florida, of course, was one of the highlights for the GOP on election night. I mean, he won by like, what, 18, 19, 20 points in that state. So I think he's feeling pretty bullish on himself, <laughs> regardless of whether right. Ronald McDaniel, McDaniels ends up being um, the RNC chair or not. And I also, you know, it's a it's a calculated risk, but I think he feels pretty strong in his own position. Um and it is tricky. You know, there are some who say, oh, is this a proxy war kind of jab at former President Trump, who obviously has been very tight with Ronald McDaniel. So we finally get to that vote today and we'll see if it's much ado about nothing or a major upset. Who do you think you'll have on the show on Sunday? I think I can tell you that a Republican Congressman Mike McCall and Democrat Congressman Adam Smith are going to come on and talk about national security in all of its forms. They both have a deep portfolio on that, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's these classified documents floating around, whether it's the border, where we know that, you know, amongst the, the thousands and millions who are coming here, we think for a better life, there are people exploiting the situation who are actually on the terror list and convicted criminals. And, you know, um, there are a lot of national security issues to discuss with them. Oh, that's true. And can I just ask you, do you ask them, how could it be that we don't have 31 Abrams tanks ready to go? They say they've got to produce them first. And then General Keene told me that we, the Marines decided they don't want tanks, so they warehoused all of them. What about using some of them? And how could we not have any tanks around we're not in the middle of a hot war anymore. What yeah, do we do with them? Yeah, inspire confidence, you know, because there are a lot of hot spots out there that if we had to mobilize the military, there are people on both sides of the hill who say they're worried about our ability to do but that. But I don't believe it, Shannon. I, I, I'm not buying it. I, I don't. How could we not have 31 Abrams tanks? I don't know. So you think it's an announcement um, without uh, without real material that's going to cross exactly. over and show up? Yeah, because they don't want to they don't want to send them. So oh, yeah, we have 31, but it's going to take a year. Even saying that we're going to send them has this uh, impact of provoking Putin to then turn around and say, like, oh, it's a proxy war and they're coming after me. Like, that's going to be his narrative. He wants to point to it. But so I don't know that the U.S. would invite that um, blowback from him if they're not if they don't actually intend to get those things there as quickly as possible. Because why do it? Why make the mm-hmm. announcement? So, yeah. So we have those two. Is there anybody else? Do you have a band? Is there any- um, we are. Um, I'm on keyboard. I'm oh, you're playing. You for oh, it's the, the Huckabee. It's the Huckabee formula because he played pres- the bass in his percussion. show. I was going to say prescription, but you might be on a prescription drug. I don't know. That doesn't have to do with you being in the band. But we also are going to have a legal panel. We've got Jonathan Turley and um, Tom Dupree, who are fantastic and amazing. There are a few legal things floating around out there, including this grand jury report out of Georgia that could be released anytime dealing with former President Trump. So that, um, you know, the Biden administration saying they're going to roll out this national rent control and tell people what they can charge or what they can do. I don't know the details. We're going to dig into that. But there are a few legal things going on. And, and we're obviously going to cover Tyree Nichols, too. Um, what we see on that tape, which I think is going to be really hard for people to digest. And we're going to see, you know, how that plays out this weekend. So we're going to cover that as well. Right. And if not, if worse comes to worse, I will see you in Arizona. Uh, it'll be really hot and we'll complain about the dry heat. I can't wait to be hot and complaining. And I expect that you and I are going to have our challenge, our showdown at the NFL experience, your football skills versus mine. I'm willing to take you on. I heard you won a Start lot of money on a out. bet. Is that true? <laughs> Start stretching out. That's did you did say. you win a lot of money on a bet? I did at the Kentucky Derby. That is awesome. But that's my one time I've ever bet on anything. So I think I used up all of my good juju on that. And well, so. no, I'm telling you right now, that's how you get addicted. You start with one bet, you win, and you think <laughs> it happens all the time. Once every 10 years. Yes. All right, Shannon Bream, thanks for talking to me. 
See you later. All right. Uh, Fox Bye. News Sunday. Uh, watch her at 2 o'clock on Fox News Channel, but watch it live in the morning. So when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 866 Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So we're watching a few stories uh, that's going on right now. Out in the West Coast, we're going to decide the direction of the Republican Party, see if they're going to make a change. But I guarantee you one thing. If there's an outward debate on who should be running the RNC, they'll say it's chaos and chaotic and it's crazy. No, it's called a, a, a debate. I want you to hear a little of the debate that went on last night. Geraldo Rivera, one of our favorite old-time people, was on with Matt Gates because Matt Gates. Uh, came out and wanted a bunch of changes, did not want, famously, Kevin McCarthy to become speaker. We wa- I don't want to go through all that again. Just know this. He told Sean Hannity he got everything he wanted, and then he went back on the floor, same night, Friday night, around 11 o'clock, still didn't vote for it. Did, still didn't vote for McCarthy, and they couldn't believe it. So here's a little of Geraldo sparring with Matt Gates last night. Cut. 16. Congressman, you, you, you play, you sound a good game. What in the world were you and your 19 colleagues doing torturing the speaker, your speaker, your speaker-designate, Kevin McCarthy? What, Geraldo, for your it's egos? All news. What was that for? What, was, what, did you, what did you hope to attain in that? So, first of all, I got some constituents in the military that could talk to you about real torture. I don't think sitting through 15 votes quite qualifies. But here's what we were fighting for. We believe that instead of having omnibus spending legislation that comes to us with only a few hours to consider thousands of pages and then vote on something that funds every agency of the, gov- of the government all at once, that we should take individual votes on appropriations bills. That's a concession we didn't have when voting began. It's one we earned by the time it ended. We also believe that when bills are considered, they should comport to a single subject so I don't have to do what I've had to do in the past and vote on the farm bill at the same time you're voting on whether or not there's going to be war powers in Yemen. <laughs> That's all true, but it was all agreed upon until the end. So what Matt Gates is going to do with there's still hard feelings. Geraldo, again with him, cut 17. We also wanted open amendments so Republicans or Democrats could offer germane adjustments to legislation and everyone could take votes on these things. You know, members of Congress, speakers, they come and go. But when rules you're, are established, you're they right often now, can be endured. Congressman, you, with your filibuster right now, you are, you are portraying yourself to the American people as a, as a, as a thoughtful legislator. And yet the, the publicity that you get characteristically, <laughs> almost inevitably, is, is flamboyant. It's, uh, it's confrontational. Hold it on, Geraldo. No let me, let me, let me step in here. It was, it was just chaos. Because, you know, Geraldo's uh, ticked off. I, I don't want to go back there. I feel like I'm going back to high school. That's how long that seems ago. Remember, it was just right after this when the classified documents started emerging, and that became uh, one of the top stories. So... Uh, in the mornings, we do Facebook, and Facebook afterwards, live, yeah. we get some live questions to me. And then someone wrote last week and said, Brian, why don't you go back? Because uh, a lot of people watch your live hit on tape. And do you ever read the comments people have once you go back to TV and then do your radio show? And the answer is? The answer is actually no, because you're still not reading the comments. You asked me to read them for you. Okay, so it's now. still no. It's still no. But would, would you read it, Allison? I'll read you some of them, Yes. <laughs> 
Let's see. John says that he likes your subtle humor and at the same time that you give a professional delivery of the news. Wow, that's nice. Eric never says anything like that. Like, why, why, how hard would that be for you to say once in a while, Eric? I paid him to say that. Right. So you don't want to say it. Eric's actually But you think John. it? Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. So then Sally Ann's commenting on, uh, you know. You don't have to be nice. Some people are saying bad stuff and you are skipping some. them. I'm not, I'm not skipping them. Um, not yet. Anyway. But uh, Sally says, so Brian, now we can't say the Ohio State anymore. Good to Right. Know. It's true. What they're referring to is the style book came out, the AP style book for us here in the uh, in the media, and it said, don't say the, don't say the French, the disabled, uh, because it did, they say it's too impersonal. Say disabled people, say French. Mummified people. Yeah, uh, yeah, mummified, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, no one's buying this, but it's being put, going, uh, going to the nth degree to be politically correct. So that's what they're referring to. And then just, you know, just to stroke your ego a little bit more, both Debbie and Monica Say they cannot wait for your show Saturday night. It's the oh, highlight of their Saturday. Really, both two, two. At least I have two women because I'm trying to build up my female demo. You need more than two women. Yes, <laughs> for Saturday night to get have two knowing two women are watching is going to be great. Uh, and also, no, those two women especially. Here's here's my guest, Matt Taibbi uh, will be here. Uh, the, the outstanding comedian uh, Nick Smigs will be there. Uh, we will have as a guest. Matt Taibbi has just gotten back from California where he got a new raft of these Twitter files. It's unbelievable what he exposed and who's involved. The other thing is Tim Scott. You know, Tim Scott is looked at as a favorite to run for president. We're going to have Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, Vivek is somebody who really wants to unwind some of this uh, with this uh, virtual reality. Virtual reality can do just about everything, including replace you. Not, there's no sense that a talk show host would ever be replaced by a robot. But everything else, between the robots that we see flipping around and between this virtual reality, what is going to be real anymore? You know, the guy from Meta says we're going to have something on the end of our nose that's going to describe everything. Um, and also for the two women watching, you'll also have Carly Lloyd. Carly Lloyd. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we have a few minutes now to close out this hour. As my privilege to, to bring in a guy from uh, from New York. He didn't have to go that far from the outer borough of Brooklyn. So I guess that means he's a Net fan, although he is born in Chicago. So that might bring his allegiance to the Bulls. I believe they're in the NBA still. Nick Smerligio is here. Did I say your name right, Nick? It kind of butchered it. What, I, what, I, I would was have thought wrong. an Italian would have nailed that one. Right. I'm not going to lie. Well, it's true, but I I've, I've live off my Irish name. You said it's it better me. before before we went live. But it's the G that's throwing me. It's Try sil- it again. It's silent. No, you totally had it. Smerlio. Smerlio. Yeah. So I, the G is almost a head fake. It doesn't oh, belong big, there. Yeah, Italian Gs are not fun. Right. Especially at the end. But here's the thing. Uh, you're known in the comedy world as Nikki Smigs. Right. And what I find fascinating about you, Nikki, is you've had all the success, and you're one of the few people that says, yeah, the pandemic really helped me. I've yeah. never heard those, cert, those, those lines before, yeah. ever. Yeah, it's definitely— uh, Unless you um, work for Pfizer or Moderna, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that's a safe bet. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a group of uh, you know, content guys that came through the pandemic that wanted to share their talent that really kind of struck gold, and I you know, thought I took it you know, as a serious blessing and acknowledged that I, my— you know, 
uh, joy during the pandemic was not shared by most people. Right. But um, got to share talent and roll with, roll with the, the waves here. Your you scenario know? So is unbelievable. Fun. I mean, you're working, you're working at, at Viacom, right? Yeah. You're working at Viacom that choose what, three blocks from here? Uh, yeah, I was actually in, in Chicago ad sales office. Oh, but Chicago. Yeah, 15, and we have one 15 here. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. 15, so you work in there, but you have this passion for improv. Your yeah. sister brought you to improv. So you yeah. go there and you, you love it. Fell in love with it. Performing on stage at Second City, you know, a stage that Steve Carell, Tina Fey once stood on and uh, just having fun with it. So you got out of the workshop. You were actually performing. Yeah, they were very supportive of me, even sometimes doing rehearsals, like over my lunch hour. I got casted for something, and my uh, my boss, uh, Two Tinas, shout out to Two Tinas, they uh, let me get away for like two, three hours once a week for like six ah, or seven weeks. Get out of here. And they were like, do your thing. I know you're going to make up the hours, and they just knew I was passionate about it, and then... You're like, pandemic hits. Give pandemic hits. And you're hits. like, there, there goes my life on hold. But then how do you handle the pandemic? I didn't handle it well. I was in the like the basement. My parents' house moved out of my apartment in Chicago and was playing Call of Duty with all my buddies because that's what all we could really do, you know. Trump was uh, on TV. It's going to be Easter. I promise you it's going to be Easter, you know, and it was like obviously not Easter. It was depressing. My family then was like, just get on this app, start posting, do some TikToks. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll see how this goes. Fine, nothing else to do. And it just, views kind of kept piling in, man. So, well, I mean, and, and they're, they're absolutely hysterical, but you were walking through your Italian life. Yeah. And some of the things that stand out, I mean, plastic on the furniture, yeah. everything yeah. goes. All this stuff I grew up with, like my grandma's house, for 26 years, I didn't think to record at one time. And then you turn the camera on and. Make sure it looks decent and people laugh, and you just don't know till you try sometimes. You so know? so uh, one of the people, anybody that comes up in comedy loves the way Sebastian, who's been on before, yeah. before he became bigger than life, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, you know of him because he, everybody knows him, or did you know of him because you said, I, I that's the type of comedy I want to do? You know what? He, he's from the same hometown as myself, Arlington Heights, Illinois, which is you know nuts, and then... Um, his comedy just, I think, related to Italians everywhere and just families with immigrants everywhere. And it's like, not if he can do it, I can do it, but it was just an inspiring story. He was just an Italian kid from the Chicago suburbs who had a dream and he chased it and he worked hard for it and earned it. So it's like, you know, let's 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 give this a shot. Let's we'll so, see what happens. So uh, Nikki's here. And Nikki, I know it's kind of weird, but I actually, I know you could do it now. But here's <laughs> you on one of your tapes doing an impression of Sebastian. Cut 35. Who's doing this? Who's doing, people? I got a problem with imposters, right? What do you think you're going to do? Post post TikToks in your room doing people for two and a half years and an attempt to quit your job to do it full time? Not to mention doing you on stage. Who's doing you? <laughs> so this was you. You'd be doing this with your friends. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. And I'm making you... fun of myself in that one, obviously, if you couldn't figure that out. But, right. uh, yeah, he tweeted that and like, you know, I, as a content creator or turned content creator the past couple of years, you got to jump on that stuff. He tweeted it and it's like, all right, let's do this. We'll see what you got, you know? Well, so, so, so Nikki, the thing is though, you know, the Chinese are stealing all your personal information, but you don't <laughs> care that TikTok is a, oh. the Chinese are stealing everything from you. Yeah. Uh, you know what? They were going to find out sooner or later. The Chinese were going to, yeah, no, it's, let's be honest. Everybody's, everybody's. Under the same, uh, you have a smartphone. I think you're subjective to what's going on. Right. So you're willing I, they, to give all you, 
Are you worried that you're going to be in, someone's going to knock you off in China and be the Nikki Smigs of China? You know what? I think that uh, having an old school Italian grandmother, like making everything herself instead of buying it overseas, I'll just move in with grandma and we'll just handle the economy You'll supply a, from, from grandma's basement. Do you so. think that a Chinese national would have trouble pulling off an Italian family? I think so. You tough. think you might be safe? I've never been over there, but <laughs> plastic on tables and weird frames of Camaros in basements might just be foreign enough to them to where they can't figure out how to track it. Okay, you know? now, <laughs> now here's Nikki, you doing Sebastian and Sebastian reacting. Cut 36. Dunkin' Donuts this morning. True story. Guy walks in. Cashier goes, What can I do for you, sir? This guy walked up to the glass, put his schnoz. Mask down on the glass and proceeded to order. I'm honestly not sure that's not me. Not only does this guy got timing, fantastic material, he's got a nuance. He nailed the half eyelid, which to pick that out, you really got to be a master impersonator. And he's from Chicago, so let's give him an A+. So instead of him being ticked off, he loved it. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I, I can't imagine being. I, I think a lot of people, like the De Niro's of the world, Sebastian, if someone does an impression of you, it's usually a form of flattery. Right, know, I would think so. Like blatantly making fun of somebody. Um, Except for the Trumps. I don't know. Oh, really yeah. To no, I, I've, I've avoided that, you know, recently. It's just because I really don't care, but it's sometimes it's just one comment triggers another comment. I don't want any of that on my page. It's like, what's the point if people are just going to upset each other? Right. Even though that, yeah. like, they wouldn't have been upset if nobody commented. So why would they induce it? You know right. what I mean? So it sucks because you want to just impersonate somebody because they're humorous or they're a character. Doesn't mean you, like, Love them. Sebastian is an inspiration for sure, but I, I stay out of politics and I make fun of On purpose. Yeah. So it's just right. like sometimes you just got to know when to like, all right, this is not going to go over well with most people. So, so. You, you notice a lot of com- comedians getting attacked and punched. Oh, and all yeah, stuff. Is that yeah. why you're working out? Because you, you're looking to win. You, know you, you, you play. You look in really good shape. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a vest on because I'm a little backed up from a, uh, a red eye flight from Los Angeles. So we're gonna have to get in the gym after this. Allison, well, we do, do have a think? gym in the building. You would, Allison. Oh, is he eligible? or Do you have to be? I'm pretty sure he could just impersonate you and get in, right? Right. He could actually do that. <laughs> Although I'm a lot sexier. Let's be honest. Yeah, People are like, yeah, he had a good, clean shave, but he, he doesn't, shave. and he doesn't smell like me at all. And they know what I smell like. Uh, down there. So listen, we'll take a time out, come back more with Nikki Smig, who's going to be on One Nation this weekend, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, and it's going to be so good, they're going to repeat it at 11. Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jimmy Kimmel Live, celebrating 20 years on the air. Happy 20th anniversary. There's no way you thought that this was going to go on for 20 years. I understand how that happens. 20 years, 20 years of Jimmy Kimmel has gone by like, well, like 30 years of Jimmy Kimmel. Boo, boo, boo. Also, um, the writers on The Late Late Show, they want to know if you're accepting applications. James Corden, who's leaving his job, Jimmy Kimmel, 20 years on the air. Uh, an emerging star, uh, Nick's, uh, Nikki Smigs, or Nick Smirligio, Smer- Smer- 
You can stick with Smigs. That's totally fine. Smurligia. What do you think? <laughs> I think we should stick with Smigs. You think I, so? Smart. Okay. I'm really struggling with that. And it's I, it, it, it makes for content. So, too, uh, so let me, me ask you, have, what yeah. is the big difference between Chicago and New York? Um, because I hear crime is an issue in both places. Yeah. I mean, we just had our weather guy uh, beat up in, in the subway. I mean, and he's a fit guy, too. I mean, just craziness. Do you, do you feel that at all? Or are you just so busy you're not really worried? I feel like you know, I lived in the city pre-pandemic in Chicago. You know, I think it's just you got to just kind of put your head down and sometimes just – not get involved. It's almost like like stuff like discourse online now. It's like just leave it alone. If you ignore it, they're going to ignore you. It's like right. so. I just kind of been doing that in Brooklyn, and there's a lot more people and a far less you know square mileage. Right. Even like uh, well, I guess same population, Brooklyn and Chicago. I don't know. Don't bother me. I won't bother you. Vice versa type thing. It's I haven't really seen anything. Knock on wood, but. Well, yeah. that's good. I just want yeah. you to be prepared. Yeah, no, no, if I, I can make you a little street smart, then this whole thing will be worth it. it. Just don't make it rain in the subway is what you're telling me. Let's <laughs> hope, yeah, let's <laughs> hope that doesn't happen. So uh, so for you in particular uh, in New York and Chicago, the one thing we keep hearing about Chicago is that there is a lot of crime there. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, four times higher than New York, I think, was last year's number. Right. And, and you growing up Italian, yeah. you, did you find yourself fitting right into Brooklyn? I mean, do you find yourself like no one looks at you and goes, you must be from Chicago? Because I right. feel like if you told me you were from Brooklyn, I would be fine with that. Is that right? Um, I think when I tell my buddies back home, Williamsburg, they just assume like, you know, buttoned up flannel, hipster mustache, coffee shop. But there's still parts of Brooklyn, Graham Avenue, we got some friends there, content guys. They're kind of doing what I'm doing, too. They've taken me under their wing. So I feel like I just kind of nav- like navigated, gravitated towards the Italian content guys of Brooklyn right. like during the pandemic, and it just made like that welcoming so much easier. But Bay Ridge, there's still a lot of Italian restaurants, and oh, huge. Williamsburg is definitely um, the hipster whatever uh, part of, I think, the city. But um, I just like trying like, to live in new areas. Wherever the job goes, I'll go, and it's it's just so many people crammed together, it's hard to compare to Chicago because the Midwest is just, like, flat and spread so, out. You know? I, I think it's so funny. So you go to do stand-up, and when you start talking to people, they basically challenge you not on the quality but on your background. There's nothing really wrong with you. Like, your parents did a good job. Oh, yeah, yeah. You had both – they both stayed together. Right, you right. like them. You even know your grandparents. You like yeah, your siblings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if – People have the impression that for a comedian, there's got to be something very wrong. Yeah, I, it's funny to me. I never really expected that. One of my parents' friends said that to me. Um, like, are you, gonna, are you really going to do comedy? Like, do you have anything like, you, troublesome? Like, <laughs> Ro- Rocco, does he have anything? Like, did you do something we don't know about? It's like, I just want to entertain, you know? Does it have to be uh, all about It doesn't about have to dark- come from pain. Now, now my, some of my favorite comics and a lot of the greatest comics do really – like you know, bring out that darkness in terms of humor on stage, and I love that. But I think there's plenty of comics in today's day and age that do not have a dark upbringing that can be funny and right. entertain people. So and, I just ignore it. I mean, you and know. what people find funny about walking through your mom's house is what? Because you said you're in the basement. What is do they find funny on that? Um, you talking about my grandmother's house? Was it your grandmother's? Yeah, house? Yeah, oh, yes. my grandmother's house. Yeah, I mean, nothing's changed. You know, I mean, it's since they got it in whatever the fifties or sixties when they came here. And I think the funniest part is like, I didn't really know this, but like Irish Catholic, Puerto Rican Catholic, um, just multiple other you know um, ethnicities, nationalities besides Italian have these same like the Psalms on the wall from going to church and like the. Uh, there's a moisture dry meter instead of a digital humidifier. Right, <laughs> like right. cage. It's like, what? 
this stuff has not left the house in 60, 70 years. So um, it's uh, you didn't know it's funny until you're like, wait, your friends don't have this. They have like a uh, nest. They I got mean, nests, I, the ring lights and nests. You I know? mean, you know, the thing is now is that you're a lot younger than me, but we never went on vacation. It never even occurred to us we're going away. Once in a while you hear a friend of yours had a friend that went to Disney yeah. by train. You know, so it was, oh, yeah. yeah, and that like now, and and they didn't aspire to, like your parents, my parents, we we're aspiring to, we got to go away. Yeah. Now it's kind of, it's easier to go. Right, right. Did you have that? Were you going on family vacation? Yeah, we drove a lot, though. Like, we were, we would fly to Florida roughly, you know, get once close. a year. Yeah. Get close. And we'd, then drive? Oh, <laughs> no, and then if we, it was an opportunity to go somewhere else, like, um, my dad would usually using points from work like it was budgeted it was planned out today it's just like you can i rented a, a tesla in los angeles it was cheaper than a honda accord from hertz rental it's like everything's just like direct to the the buyer owner now the airbnb and like these turo apps so it's like the barrier to entry and the costs are so much lower than even 15 years ago it's just everything just gets easier i think with technology but and now you find yourself and and we're, we're talking with nikki here we just got into comedy through the pandemic doing improv prior was depressed for how many weeks? A couple of weeks? Three oh, weeks? Oh, God, longer than that. That's, I mean, honestly, it, everybody was a little depressed, right? Oh, yeah. It was a shell shock. Right. I guess long enough until my, so my family was like, please do something besides drink beer and play Call of Duty. Like, right. Let's, let's, let's try to flip the script here, you know? Right. And that so. was, for a while, your aspiration, just to drink just, beer and play Call of Duty. I, I was good with it. It was like that week between Christmas and New Year's everybody said they ah. had in March 2020. And it's like, this was like a month of you know, that in between Christmas and, and that, New Year's. And that's that, when you started putting out videos. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll give it all. Yeah. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. Right, but you have even Chris Mazzilli reach out to you from yeah. uh, from Gotham Comedy Club. Yeah, he sent me. Uh, which is one of the elite comedy clubs in the country. Yeah, a couple co- a couple clubs reached out, which was awesome. And, um, you know, can't do it right now because of the pandemic. This was at the time. But, you know, when stuff clears up, you know, love to, love to meet you. And I wasn't the only one. There was a lot of guys that, you know, came up in comedy doing content online that, uh, you know, the clubs and restaurants in New York were shut down they needed other right you know acts to book and uh it was kind of like the internet guys got uh are getting a shot so you're, it's like it's fun man i understand and by the way april 23rd you're going to be at helium club in philadelphia correct uh you could also uh just so you know you want to write this down because you did not know these dates offhand may 10th are you going to be in princeton new jersey thank you roger right and That's we don't manager. know exactly where yeah so it's you're supposed on my to go website. there it, yeah. uh, south jersey in may it's good to be um, a little elusive i I, I'm coming off a red eye uh, off, from and Los Springfield, from, uh, Springfield, New Jersey. You'll be there also in May. Yeah, yeah. I think if you uh, just follow the Instagram, I'll, I'll make sure to share it when it when I can right. uh, confirm it versus I, just confuse. I've never people, seen that but, before. You just named the month in the city. Yeah, it's so a, listen. If it's you a, really <laughs> follow you close, I'm going to be there. It's up to us. Put yeah. pressure on the audience. Yeah, this you is can't a, do all the work. I guess. I guess you're right. Yeah, I got to. Uh, I got to get it organized. Right. But, uh, so no, no. Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, so Nikki, uh, Christopher Walken is somebody that stood out with you. Correct? Yeah, yeah, one of the voices I did for sure. Right. Yeah. Do you have it in you now? Or? Sure, I could do it now. It's a great studio. Great studio. I can see myself. Mother of Mary, I'm fat. Brian. Brian. I could do some makeup for TV if you can make it. We will get that. Pinch my stomach anyways. So, so. <laughs> and you and you did uh, you did Sebastian, of course. Is there another one that really impressed your family? Uh, Paul Giamatti's been fun lately. I like the show Billions. Have you seen it, Brian? Have yeah. you seen Billions? It's a great show. It's like the the Attorney General versus 
the biggest billionaire hedge fund owner, I believe, in the country. Just fascinating to do. It's one of my favorite actors, and it's just fun to, to do Paul. He's really quiet and... Yeah, I'm going to wrap this impression up because I think we're out of time. Right, because he can do it. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. He just rambles and stuff. It's like, I don't know. That's what I'm doing too. But Right. No, this fun. is great. So, uh, Nikki, you're a great story. You're going to be on with us. Uh, you got to be on with us Saturday night. Uh, and then we'll tell we'll a million more people will know what you're doing. We're going to bump in with some of your stuff awesome. uh, from your from your house, your grandmother's house. Yeah, no. Yeah. Where she's still using the hardwire phone. Yeah. Actually, my wife still does not want We have one phone in our house because we're sure we're getting hit by a hurricane. Yeah. It'll be the only phone in the neighborhood that's going to work. It's got a lot of companies. Right. Italian food's got to be out, you know. Just tell me, how much money do you have to make to get cable? Because the fact that you don't have cable hurts my feelings. I know. I, I Come on, you have to have cable. I know. I, at least One Nation's digital, right? We can do that online. You or can no? do it, but that's something you, you got to promise me. All right. You're going to hit that level and get cable? All right. I could do that. Nikki, Deal. thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.